And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, or five. November 9th, 1966, Paul McCartney got into an argument with the other Beatles, stormed out of the studio, and was promptly decapitated in a car accident. To cover the whole thing up, the band hired a look-alike and sound-alike. After going through all this trouble, though, the band took great points to drop clues in their album covers and lyrics to hint to the public that something was amiss. For example, on the cover of Abbey Road, all four Beatles are photographed striding across a zebra crossing, but only McCartney is barefoot and out of step with the other three. This must mean something, right? Despite public denials by the band and many, many public appearances by McCartney, fans just couldn't let it be, and some still work together to this day to look for clues. What's up, listeners? Welcome to the Force 5 Podcast, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and then we reveal our picks on air. I'm your host, ex-video store clerk, undiscovered screenwriter, and fellow listener, Jason Kleberg. And yes, today we're talking conspiracy theories. From the front page of grocery store checkout tabloids to the guy who never seems to leave the front of every single 7-Eleven, conspiracy theories are everywhere. One thing is for sure. No matter how ridiculous these might seem, they're still interesting. Sure, you could be completely convinced that we landed on the moon, that lizard people aren't pulling the strings on your everyday life, and that the COVID vaccine wasn't some absurd plot to inject the population with 5G coverage. But what if that guy shouting these things at you outside of 7-Eleven was right? Conspiracy films delve into that world, and it's a fun one to be a part of. Today, Chris Iannacone from the Get Me Another podcast and I will give you some amazing recommendations for films filled with twists and turns that put the protagonist through the ringer. I hope you had a happy Halloween. The response to the Halloween episode was surprisingly high, so if you're a new listener, hello, I'm excited to have you on board. Jill gave some amazing recommendations. Uh, one of those films I did see, I saw The Ranger. If you want to hear my review of The Ranger, that's going to be on the Patreon feed. But today I want to talk about one of the most underrated comedies of the 90s. This is one that uh, I posted on Twitter a while back. Uh, I, I absolutely love this film. It is called The Wrong Guy from 1997. Big promotion's being announced today, and I think I know who's going to get it. The new president, big surprise, Ken Daly. What? And I am engaged to your daughter. Daly here is engaged to my favorite daughter. What kind of a man has a favorite daughter? And if you do have a favorite, then you should label them favorite and not favorite. I swear I will kill you. So that's the woman that found the body. No, sir, that's a man. Really? That's him! Nelson Hibbert is a wanted man. How far will $36 get me? Through there. Just need your name for records? My name is Dr. Helen Harris. No, that's my name. He's smart. Super smart. The guy I saw stuck his head in the water machine. Nelson, a middle manager for a Cleveland-based business, is passed up for a promotion. Furious, he threatens to kill his boss, who also happens to be his father-in-law, in an in-office tirade. And a few hours later, the boss turns up dead, and everybody thinks Nelson did it. Just kidding. Only Nelson thinks that everyone thinks he did it. So he goes on the lam while being pursued by absolutely no one. About 12 minutes into The Wrong Guy, you know you're watching something special. 
Dave Foley, cast perfectly as this meek, oft-mistaken-for-a-woman Nelson, walks out of his boss's office covered in blood, holding the knife he pulled from his boss's dead neck. Now, in most comedies, this is where the misunderstanding starts, and we'd spend the rest of this film watching him evade the law while trying to clear his name. But in this film, in the very next scene, we see the cops watching security footage of exactly what happened, joking about Nelson and trying to figure out the identity of the actual assassin, who is clearly shown in the footage. They know he's not guilty. The comedy in the film comes from Nelson thinking he's being hounded by the cops when he's actually not. Dave Foley is outstanding in this film, and a lot of the charm comes from his willingness to consistently look foolish. He's definitely committed to the role, and I just loved his character. The assassin, a master of disguise who always fully commits to whatever garb he's wearing, is in pursuit of Nelson because of his own misunderstanding. The assassin, known only as the killer, is played wonderfully by Colm Fior, a character actor you've probably seen dozens of times on screen and just never knew his name. And on his tail is Detective Arlen, played by David Anthony Higgins, a cop who has absolutely no interest in the case, aside from being extremely impressed with the killer's ability to lift himself into a ventilation shaft. Higgins, who most people would probably know as Craig, Lois's co-worker on Malcolm in the Middle, was amazing in this film. And also in the cast, we have Jennifer Tilly playing Lynn, a small-town girl who catches the eye of Nelson when he comes to town on the run. The Wrong Guy is equal parts slapstick, absurdist, and witty dialogue-driven comedy. It's really tough to get a combination like this right, but The Wrong Guy nails it for the most part. The script, which was based on a discarded sketch Dave Foley had written for Kids in the Hall, was written by Foley, Higgins, and Jay Kogan, who wrote for The Simpsons during its killer 1990-1993 run. And you can tell, because several scenes in this film feel like you could have swapped Nelson out for Homer Simpson, and it would have been right at home in Springfield. There's a gag in which Nelson dives onto a moving train and flies right out the other side, and that's just one example. Just the, the comedy in this is really well done. The Wrong Guy is a very funny movie that has to be one of the most underrated comedies of the 90s. Rumor has it that this was originally going to be a Jim Carrey vehicle, probably abandoned when Liar Liar got thrown his way. Foley was, at one point, attached to direct, but couldn't when the news radio schedule wouldn't allow it. I imagine that if Carrey had starred with Foley behind the camera, Foley's career trajectory would have been a whole lot different than it ended up being. The Kino Lorber disc is now long out of print. And that's a shame because it has a commentary by director David Steinberg and all three writers that I'd love to hear. The film is not even currently available on Amazon, like you cannot buy this disc, so I'm going to be keeping my eyes open for this one at the secondhand shops, and you should too. The Wrong Guy is a gem of a comedy that really deserves to be seen by more people. It's one example of a conspiracy that is not a conspiracy at all. Before we get to today's sponsor, there's a way you can support the show, and that is by joining the Patreon. If you're not a Patreon member, you'll have missed the Jim Carrey draft between Cuban Pete, a.k.a. Pete Beta, and Joseph Navarro from the Middle Class Film Class. This was the tightest draft yet, and much like the first draft, I had no idea where this one was going. There are some surprise picks. It's a competitive style draft that's designed for fan interaction afterwards. Head to patreon.com backslash force5 to get in on the action. Now today's sponsor, I used to work at a video store and I kind of miss it. There's just something about picking up boxes of films you might be interested in checking out and being sold on it just from the cover alone. Most video stores these days are a thing of the past, your blockbusters, your Hollywood videos, but today's sponsor, Screenplay Video in Capeside, is still going strong. Screenplay Video stocks all of the new releases as well as classics like The Graduate and The English Patient. 
Screenplay Video has something for everyone. Don't forget to check out Pacey's Picks for November, featuring 1936's The Bride Walks Out, Badlanders from 1958, Breakfast at Tiffany's, of course, A Big Hand for the Little Lady from 1966, and 1984's The Bostonians. And this month, they'll be screening a double feature of Gandhi 2 and Conan the Librarian every Saturday night for their midnight doubles. Screenplay video. Go rent a film that doesn't completely blow. Now let's talk some conspiracy films. Welcome back to the Force 5 podcast. Today I am joined by Chris Iannacone. He's a writer and co-host of the Get Me Another podcast. Chris, how's it going this afternoon? Uh, it's going great. I'm, um, it's, uh, I'm very excited to be here. I am honored to have you on. Now, this is normally the part where I kind of describe your podcast, but I realized recently while I was editing that I might steal some of my guests' thunder by doing that. So at this point, I'm just going to simply ask you to tell us about Get Me Another, and then I'm going to shut up and listen. So tell us about Get Me Another. Well, sure. Uh, uh, I co-host a podcast called Get Me Another, and what we do is we examine blockbuster films, what made them work, why they had the impact they did, and then explore all of the films that followed in those blockbusters' wake and tried in one way or another to replicate their success. So our first series, uh, we looked at Tim Burton's 1989 Batman, and subsequently then films like Dick Tracy, The Shadow, The Phantom, Spawn, and more. And how did Batman influence those films? How did they differ? And how did cinematic trends evolve over time? Now, I uh, I kind of mentioned this when we were talking off air, but I whenever I have a guest on, I will go and I will listen to at least one show to get familiar with the person, to get familiar with their taste a bit. And I got sucked into your show because, you know, when you say you're going to do Batman, it's not just one show on Batman and all those movies. It's a show dedicated to each of those movies. So there Pretty are much. seven, yeah, like six, seven shows on, on each of these movies. Well, sometimes there's two or three per episode, but it's, it's a wealth of content. Oh yeah, we do. We do between five and 10 episodes per series. So, so far we've done Batman. Uh, we've done get me another star Wars, which is our longest series to date. Get me another boys in the hood. And we're just finishing, get me another Halloween. Uh, and in January, <laughs> we'll be kicking off our next series. Get me another Conan, the barbarian. Oh, we got uh, some sword and sandal stuff coming. I'm excited for that one. I'm not going to like physically do it, but in my head, I'm rubbing my hands together in anticipation. Birdman. Oh, no, I, we, we just finally settled on it in the last day or so. What was going to come? What was going to be our first one for the year? And I am now very excited um, to the point where I'm distracting myself looking at stuff for, for that. And I'm like, <laughs> we still got Halloween to finish. Yeah, Halloween's a fun one. And obviously this is is airing as you're hearing this. It's post-Halloween, but don't let that deter you from going back. If you haven't checked it out already, just listen to all the, all the Halloween stuff. There are so many slashers that came out after that, and uh, Chris and Rob talk about all of them. Well, I mean, you can't talk about all of them, but some of the major ones, Final Exam. Oh, Graduation Day. We have, uh, you know, My Bloody Valentine and The Prowler. Um, <laughs> oh, obviously, brutal. Friday the 13th, which was one of the first movies to kind of follow in the wake of Halloween and so impactful that somewhere down the road, we're going to do its own series focusing on the movies that came out, like kind of that branch off of the tree that followed in the wake of Friday the 13th. We're going to get into our topic 
in a minute. Before we do, I ask this of pretty much all my guests. Chris, what are some of your favorite films that might not make it into our list tonight? Well, thank goodness I, I had the wherewithal to think about this ahead of time because that's one of those <laughs> questions like, oh, what are your favorite movies? And then all of a sudden I can't remember any movie I've ever seen and I end mm-hmm. up squawking out something like Back to the Beach, which is not a good movie, but it's literally the only movie I can ever remember. But I, I'm a big fan of what would be called genre films, science fiction, fantasy, horror. Uh, some favorites you know, include the original Star Wars uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Back to the Future. I'm a big James Bond fan as well. Eventually we're going to do Get Me Another James Bond. Um, other maybe lesser kind of less high profile titles, Big Trouble in Little China is one of my favorite movies of all time. Awesome. Uh, Excalibur, The Dark Crystal, Midnight Run. More recently, Ex Machina and Knives Out were two of my favorites. You looking forward to Glass Onion? Oh, very much. I've watched that trailer like, like, a dozen times now. It looks terrific. Well, uh, let's talk conspiracy films here. Before we get into your inspiration for the topic, I want to pick your brain about what you consider a conspiracy film. Because as I do with these lists, I will look at my physical media shelves and I'll just kind of pick titles like, is that a conspiracy movie? Is that a conspiracy movie? And it seems like most dramatic or action films have an element of conspiracy to them. So what do you consider a conspiracy film definition? Well, I think that's, it's a great question. And when I, when I suggested this topic, I didn't quite realize how difficult of a question it might be because as you say, a lot of movies have conspiracies in them. You know, anytime you have two people in cahoots to do something nefarious, it's a conspiracy. As my wife pointed out, the Princess Bride has a conspiracy in it. I've got yeah. my country's 500th anniversary to plan, my wedding to arrange, my wife to murder, and Gilder to frame for it. I'm swamped. <laughs> uh, but we wouldn't really consider that a conspiracy movie. So I try to focus on movies where the exposure or unraveling of a conspiracy was the primary goal. And I also tried to choose films, which I hope are not only great films, but also where the conspiracy at the core is something of substance. Yeah. Yeah. I was along the same lines. I had to knock off a couple things that I originally planned to have on here because I rewatched them and I realized that in my head, I thought that might be a conspiracy film, but in reality, it's not really a conspiracy film. And the first one, just, just being completely honest, the first one that I knocked off my list was Fright Night from 1985. That was the first one that came to my head. And it's like, well, you know, it's kind of a conspiracy because this kid thinks there's a vampire next door. Nobody believes him. And then I brought it up to my wife and she's like, that's that's not a conspiracy. That's just a mystery. That being said, I do love Fright Night. Oh, it's a great movie. It's a fantastic movie. Uh, in fact, I love all the Fright Night movies because I think Fright Night Part 2 is fantastic, as is the remake. Yeah, I like the remake a lot. I like the remake a lot. Uh, but she convinced me. She said, that's that's not a conspiracy movie. And the more I thought about it, it's like, you know what? That's true. So along the same lines as you, it's those one or more people conspiring behind somebody's back. And I had to have it the core issue of the film, not not just a, a side plot that gets things going. So yeah. That's kind of like how I how I phrased it. The other thing about this topic is that you have a golden age of conspiracy movies in the 1970s. Yeah. You know, where the United States as a country was in a particular place psychologically, I think beginning with the Kennedy assassination, followed by the war in Vietnam. 
and, and the subsequent unrest at home. And all of that feeds into this pervasive distrust of American institutions. Oh, yeah. Uh, justified, I might add. Are yours like um, all in one kind of time period? Mine are pretty spread out amongst uh, many time periods. Mine are reasonably spread out, too. I mean, I could have walked in here with five movies made between 1971 and 1981, and it would have been an amazing list of films. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted something that was hopefully a bit more wider ranging, both in terms of the time and in terms of genre. Sure. You know, conspiracy films often mean political thrillers, but it can also be much more than that. What's the draw for you to conspiracy films? This was really the first and only topic you brought up, and it was like, yeah, that's the winner. Uh, Why? Well, I think there's something, in an odd way, I think there's something comforting about a conspiracy. There's, you know, there's the possibility that things are very random and that there isn't somebody, that there isn't a hand at the wheel, you know, nefarious or not. I think it's actually, that idea is a more unsettling idea than the idea that, oh yeah, there's somebody behind the curtain pulling the strings. And I think it's interesting how many of these movies in some ways actually make us feel better about the world or the events of the world, even though, you know, you have some very, you know, dark forces arrayed against people in the movies. But but is that not maybe preferable to, you know, it's a world of chaos? Well, I love a good conspiracy film. I know you love a good conspiracy film. Are you ready to get to our top five conspiracy films, Chris? I am ready. You know what's going to happen? You know what's happening here right now? You know what's going to happen? No, 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 no. What? You just made the list. Top five. All right, Chris from Get Me Another, why don't you kick us off with your number five on our top five conspiracy films? All right. Number five from 1991 from controversial filmmaker Oliver Stone, JFK. From the shadow of a doubt. Who would leave a path as big as Lee Harvey Oswald? To the darkest suspicions. Nobody's going to tell me that kid did the shooting job he did from that damn bookstore. One man would make a dangerous journey. Don't you think the Kennedy assassination is a little bit out of your domain? Looking for the truth. Kevin Costner in an Oliver Stone film. Nothing is going to keep me from my investigation of John Kennedy's murder. JFK Rated R starts Friday, December 20th at a theater near you. I think people would be disappointed if JFK was not on one of our lists. It had to be. And I I struggled with it um, because there's aspects of this movie I think are amazing. There's aspects of this movie that I I find off-putting. But when you took it all together, there was just no way it couldn't be on the list, even though this is why it's at number five and not and not higher. First of all, I think it's it's just an incredibly well made movie. The editing is fantastic. Uh, The pacing for a movie that has so much information to download to an audience, um, it's the pacing is 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 sensational. Um, Sure. It's also shot in a really interesting way, the way it uses different film stocks and formats. Uh, it has got uh, an amazing score by John Williams. It's one of it's one of John Williams' great scores, but one of his more... Like, people don't remember it in the same way they remember Star Wars and Raiders and Superman, etc. But, like, the, store for, the score for JFK is incredible. Uh, and it's also got just an all-star cast in the classic sense. You know, there's too many to name, but, like... 
You have Kevin Costner as Jim Garrison. You have Gary Oldman as Lee Harvey Oswald, Tommy Lee Jones, Joe Pesci, Jack Lemmon, Ed Asner, John Candy, and Donald Sutherland. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a ton of people in this movie. And it's a, a sort of classic Hollywood all-star cast. All those names, you didn't even mention people like Kevin Bacon. Like the, the list goes on and on and on. Just amazing people at this movie. You know, honestly, I'm convinced that uh, had John Candy, you know, he's got two scenes in this movie. And had he not passed away prematurely, I am absolutely convinced that at some point in his career, he won an Academy Award because he is incredible in a in a non-comic role. Yeah, he was. He was. Did this win? This had to have won some Academy Awards, right? It was nominated for a lot. I'm not sure how many it actually won. I, like, I wouldn't be surprised if it took home, like, for editing um, and maybe for cinematography. But I think it was 91. So what was the what was the big winner that year? I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and, and truth be told, there's some aspects of JFK that haven't aged great. Um and and I just I think we just need to be upfront about it. Like there's there's a homophobic sheen across this movie. Yeah, uh, there is. And I think a lot of that came out of Garrison, uh, the real life Jim Garrison, and his investigation and his personal feelings about the men he believed to be involved in the assassination. And honestly, that whole aspect of it feels unpleasant to me. And and that was why I I kind of struggled with it because the other the other thing about it is that. You know, if you want to make a movie that's clearly fiction, you know, just up front, we're making a fictional film. Um, well, then you can kind of do whatever you want. But if you're saying that something is factual, then, you know, then the, then you have a responsibility to be factual. And I think Oliver Stone's JFK brings up a lot of serious questions regarding what were considered facts about the Kennedy assassination and the Warren report. And... But at the same time, it brings up things that are, I think, very much not true. And Oliver Stone is on record saying that, you know, it is a counter myth to the myth of the Warren Commission, which frankly, to me, sounds like a fancy wave saying, I know some of this is bullshit, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Oliver Stone. Uh, <laughs> and and I think saying that it didn't age well um, is a little different than saying it makes us uncomfortable. And I think it will make you uncomfortable, but at the same time, it's made during a time when those things that are uncomfortable now were not as uncomfortable. So obviously, uh, you know, different time, a different time. Definitely I will mention that uh, Robert Richardson was the cinematographer on this. It's an amazingly shot movie. And if you're not yeah. familiar with Robert Richardson, you are familiar with Robert Richardson because he's, I mean, he's shot Tarantino's films, um, from like Kill Bill on, he's done. He did Platoon. He's worked with Scorsese. He's he's uh, he's amazing. So that's that's really the only Absolutely. thing I have to add that you didn't say already. I would I would add one other thing, and this is you know it, if you're interested in the Kennedy assassination and in particular the idea of a conspiracy around it, I want to mention another film, and it didn't make the list, but I kind of consider it you know five okay. A. And that is a movie called Executive Action from 1973. It stars Burt Lancaster, and it's about a conspiracy to assassinate JFK, much like the one outlined in Oliver Stone's film. And they have a lot of details in common. What's unusual about Executive Action is that it's entirely told from the perspective of the conspirators, the men who planned and carried out the murder. And it's really, 
you know, you put these two t- films together and they act as almost bookends, um, you know, as two cinematic bookends to this to this story of conspiracy. And it's it's just it's really interesting. And I highly recommend people if they're interested in JFK, seek out this movie uh, from 1973, again, only 10 years after the assassination itself. And it, it serves as kind of a it's complementary to JFK in a lot of ways. I love those kind of picks because that just adds more things to people's watch lists. So uh, just to recap, at number five, we have JFK from 1991 and 5B, Executive Action from 1973, which I've never heard of. So I'm going to have to try and search that out. Do you know if there's uh, like a physical media release of that one? I am not sure if there is. I I know it is available on iTunes and I think it might be available on Amazon Instant Video. Um, It was not a very popular movie because it came out a time when people were like, they did not want they did not want to hear that kind of thing at that particular sure. time. So it's it's funny that 20 years later, you know, Oliver Stone comes along and takes a lot of the same stuff and, you know, it becomes this this massive hit. Yeah, okay. All right, I'll have to check that out. My number five is uh, a, a little bit lighter in tone than JFK. This is from 1988. It's a movie that was number one on my list of films featuring wrestlers that came out late last year. This is They Live from 1988. What do these things want? Why are they here? They're running the whole show. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we gotta oh. stop them. Blind on us to the truth. Look, I've got one that can see. Look at them, they're everywhere. From John Carpenter. They live. Rated R. You have to be familiar with They Live, correct? I am so familiar with it that is, in fact, my number four pick. Oh, awesome. Well, I'll kick us off here, and then and then you can come in on the tail end and talk about why it made your list as well. This film follows uh, a drifter, played by Roddy Piper, who discovers through special sunglasses that the ruling class are aliens concealing their appearance and manipulating people to consume, breed, and conform to the status quo with subliminal messages in media. This is a very fun film, but at the same time, it's got a lot to say about consumerism. It's got to, a, lot, a lot to say about the rich. And John Carpenter said, quote, the picture's premise is that the Reagan revolution is run by aliens from another galaxy. Free enterprisers from outer space have taken over the world and are exploiting Earth as if it's a third world planet. And as soon as they exhaust all our resources, they'll move on to another world. You know, everything's designed to sell us something. You watch TV, it's designed to sell you something. You see an ad, obviously that's designed to sell you something. Hell, you listen to a podcast. Uh, Speaking of, go to the Patreon, buy some merch. (laughs) Roddy (laughs) Piper. Roddy Piper in this is so great. So good. Oh, he just feels like such an everyman. And he's an idiot. Like, he is a moron, but there's something lovable about him. And same with Keith David as... Oh, they're, and they are great together. They, they are great together. And obviously one of the most famous scenes with them together is a parking lot fight yes. that lasts like six minutes. And I rewatched it. I didn't rewatch the movie, but I rewatched that fight in preparation for this. And it's just, it's so funny. They're just wailing on each other. Uh, they're they're um, trading wrestling moves. It's it's a schlocky movie. It's a great nod to 50s sci-fi B movies. Mm-hmm. And it has a lot to say about the world that's probably even more relevant today than it was back then. Absolutely. 
Yeah, that's why I love They Live. That's my number five. It's also your number four. Why do you love it? Well, I mean, you know, look around. In a world where income disparity is increased, where climate change is only getting worse, which something the movie attributes to aliens trying to alter the Earth's biosphere to more resemble <laughs> their own, and the things that divide us seem ever more insurmountable, They Live feels like it's a movie that was ahead of the curve. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, and and as you say, it's a fun movie. It's an entertaining movie. It's an entertaining movie that's got something to say. What more could you want? I mean, that's that's what movies are all about. Yep. The score is great, too. I didn't even mention the score. The score is amazing. Absolutely. Well, all of John Carpenter's films, because he does his own scores, and it's, it's uh, you know, he, you know, John Carpenter was not appreciated, you know, in the 80s when he was making these films, but he was making some of the best films of the 80s. And this is in his his top tier, you know, depending on how big you say that tier is, but it's certainly in his in his his top echelon of movies. It's it's great. It is it is a delight of a movie. Love it. If you haven't seen this, you got to go check it out. Hopefully between this and top 5 movies featuring a wrestler, I've sold you on They Live. If you don't want to take my word for it, take Chris's word for it. Go watch They Live. Take my word for it. They Live is terrific. All right, so that's your number 4. We've got some crossover here. I love it. Um all right, my number 4 and I could have easily put any movie from this series on my list. I chose the 6th film in this series, Mission Impossible fallout from 2018 your mission should you choose to accept it i wonder did you ever choose not to the end you always feared is coming and the blood will be on your hands the fallout of all your good intentions. You had a terrible choice to make in Berlin. One life over millions. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. If he had held on to the plutonium, we wouldn't be having this conversation. His team would be dead. Yes, they would. That's the job. This is my favorite film franchise of all time. And I was debating which one to have on my list, but I'm going to go with Fallout for a couple of reasons. First off, the conspiracies here are multi-layered. So the plot is about this mysterious entity known only as John Lark, who is in charge of a group who wants to unleash anarchy. So they've purchased this plutonium core, and they're going to use it in a transportable nuclear bomb. So our, uh, our hero, Tom Cruise, as Ethan Hunt and his familiar team, they are tasked with retrieving that core. Part one of this conspiracy is that these guys want to conspire to blow the bomb in the Saichen Glacier, which would contaminate the water supply of India, Pakistan, and China, effectively killing billions of people and making way for complete chaos and a new world order. Then you have a side conspiracy that the person in charge of the apostles, John Lark, is setting Ethan Hunt up to take the fall as John Lark. And when the bombs are set, there's an extremely personal consequence to Ethan Hunt's post and present actions. For a second, I want to I want to digress for a minute, if 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 I may, and just talk about the miracle that is the Mission Impossible film series. Oh, go for it. I mean, you know, I I am 
old enough to remember watching some of the original Mission Impossible episodes in repeats, not when they first aired, but they were they were in repeats when I was a kid. There was a brief revival in the late 80s that I liked a lot. And then, you know, the Mission Impossible film series came at a time when there were all these um, film adaptations of TV properties from the 60s and 70s. And of all of them, Mission Impossible is the one that has just kind of continued on and gotten better. Like that that the sixth, the fifth and sixth installments of the Mission Impossible series are are basically the best <laughs> yep. of the series. I mean, that's bananas. I mean, that, it, it should have run out of gas a long time ago. And I think simply the fact that like Tom Cruise, by force of sheer will and his willingness to put his body into jeopardy for our entertainment has turned Mission Impossible into one of the best film series of all time. I can't wait for the the the, the next two, the the Dead Reckoning parts one and two. That that Dead Reckoning trailer is amazing, which you haven't watched because you don't watch trailers, <laughs> but it's great. Yeah. So and and it's also even made more incredible by the fact that in 2000, when number two came out, it was received so poorly that it almost killed the series completely. And it took like yeah. six years to to come up with another one. And since number three, which had one of the most chilling villains of all time, it's like you said, oh, yeah. it's only gotten better. And it is single-handedly because of Tom Cruise. And it's also from his partnership with um, with Christopher McQuarrie. Because, yeah. God, when you watch five and six back-to-back, which my wife and I just went through the whole series not too long ago uh, for, I mean, my millionth time. E- even when you watch it again and again and again, the stuff is still breathtaking. I mean, some of my favorite action scenes of all time like if if i was to do top five action scenes of all time three of them might be from this movie oh oh it, it's it's amazing yeah it, and it's funny because they originally the idea was oh they're going to have a different director for each installment and they'll have a different look so you had brian de palma for the first one and john woo for the second and then uh jj abrams for the third and, and brad bird for the fourth and then they kind of settled in like though no, they found their guy yeah with christopher mccrory like and and he <laughs> You know the two films he's made. Again, I'm I'm super excited. We haven't rewatched it, but we'll we'll do it next year in anticipation of the seventh one. We will probably start at the beginning and and go through. And it is just like it's just they're so darn good. And and for a movie series that's that's started in 1996. I mean, mm-hmm. when when the, the Mission Impossible, if they don't, if if none of the movies get delayed any further, even if if they stay on schedule, Tom Cruise will have been playing Ethan Hunt. Longer than Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, and Timothy Dalton played James Bond combined. That's crazy. It is insane. That's a great choice. That's a that's a great action oriented choice. I I'm I, I honestly I'm sorry I didn't think of it, but I'm glad I didn't. So we have we don't have movies overlapping. I th- I think it's terrific. <laughs> have you uh, have you seen like the Blu-ray special features disc on five or six? I, I've seen, I think I've watched some of the special features on four and maybe five. I, I'll, I'll probably do it when we revisit them uh, in anticipation of the next film. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, just the stuff that they, you know, you talked about action sequences. I mean, that would be, first of all, that'd be a great show. But like the Burge Dubai sequence in Ghost Protocol. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, I remember seeing that in IMAX back when it came out and it was heart stopping. Yeah, yeah. Although I, I got to say, come to think of it and again i don't mean to take us off our topic it's not my favorite sequence in the film my favorite sequence in the film is when they're switching the numbers 
on the hotel doors so they can make these two people who aren't meeting, they have to prevent from meeting, but believe that they are meeting. That sequence is classic. It's the it's classic Mission Impossible series type of things where they didn't have the budget to be able to, you know, hang off the tallest building in the world. But it's it's fantastic and it works so great. I want to mention real quick two more things. The score is amazing by Michael uh, Giacchino. Just amazing score. Oh, sure. And uh, my favorite iteration of the Mission Impossible theme. And then not being a Superman fan, I had always been kind of indifferent on Henry Cavill. But this film won me over his size. And oh, he's so great in that movie. Yeah. And it's like it's a it's interesting seeing him next to Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise in fight scenes is really like the scalpel. And Henry Cavill is the hammer and the Absolutely. bathroom. Fight. That was so worth him keeping his mustache. For. Absolutely. <laughs> totally. Um, so, yeah, that's my number four Mission Impossible Fallout. I love it. My number three. And it's one of my all time favorite films from 1973. The original. The Wicker Man. The Wicker Man. Well, what kind of mother are you? I can stand by and see your own child slaughtered. Christopher Lee and Brett Eklund in Anthony Schaffer's tale of the ancient gods, a fable of unclean deeds and unholy places. God in heaven, even these people can't be that mad. Time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. Oh my God! The winner grand prize at the Festival of Fantasy and Science Fiction Films in Paris, the Wicker Man. Rate it R. For those who don't know, the Wicker Man follows a Scottish police officer as he journeys to this remote island to investigate the disappearance of a 12-year-old girl. And it's not long before the devoutly Christian officer takes offense at the pagan religion that has been embraced by the residents, who initially deny any knowledge of the girl's existence. But he eventually discovers evidence the girl may indeed be on the island and in possibly the intended victim of a nightmarish ritual sacrifice. Um, to be clear, this is not the remake from 2006 with Nicolas Cage, <laughs> from which clips circulate on social media from time to time. This movie is incredible. It was written by Anthony Schaefer, directed by Robin Hardy. It stars Edward Woodward, Brett Eklund, Diane Salanto, and Christopher Lee. It's many things. It is a mystery movie. It's a horror movie. And yes, it's a conspiracy movie. I, I want to encourage people out there who might be listening who haven't seen this movie. It's readily available on Blu-ray. Uh, it might be available on streaming too. So we, we will stop short of going all the way there. But um, it's it's what is generally referred to as folk horror, you know, a subgenre that employs folklore and mythology in service of generating fear and dread. And it, it's really a movie about the power of belief and what a person or people can do when they are driven by belief. This is a great choice. I, When you look at all the genres out there, folk horror was not one that I was looking to for conspiracies, but this works. This falls right into conspiracy movies. It is absolutely central, and and it's it's uh, the the main character Sergeant Howie uh, is in is trying to unravel this girl's disappearance, and and is a as wide a ranging a conspiracy as you're going to find. Um, the performances are great, particularly the townspeople. There is a real authentic sense of an isolated community. Um, it, it's it's a it's a beautifully shot movie. Oh, it should be mentioned. It is also 
among all the other things that I, I mentioned earlier, the film is also effectively a musical because it has a number of great folk songs composed by musician, musician and playwright Paul Giovanni. Uh, and it is, it's dynamite. This is a movie that is, it's one of those ones where you, you once you get into it, uh, you will, it, it, it gets inside your head. It really does. Yeah, it's got this uh, sense of dread and paranoia that sometimes movies like this bungle in the third act and the Wicker Man just sticks the landing. Great, great ending to this movie. Absolutely. Um, Christopher Lee, who plays the role of Lord Summer Isle, the, basically the guy who owns the island, and he appeared in more than 200 movies, he considered The Wicker Man to be his finest film. And I'm not going to say otherwise. <laughs> if you are listening and you're a fan of people like Ben Wheatley and Ari Aster and you have not seen The Wicker Man, this is like their, um, I, ha- I have to believe this is a huge influence on both of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're, if you loved Midsummer, um, again, Ben Wheatley's got a number of great films. Um, you know, a field in England is terrific and, uh, kill list, uh, kill list is great. <laughs> kill, kill list is fantastic, but all of those kind of come, I think downstream from the wicker man. It's one of, it's one of maybe the, the two or three greatest folk horror movies of all time. Sounds like a good topic for get me another. Oh, Maybe that's a good, that's a good <laughs> thought. I like that. I'm going to bring, I know, I know Rob would like that too. So, uh, fantastic. Well, my number three, and this is, this is one of the cool things about your list topic, conspiracy movies. We're going to have all kinds of genres on here. I love it. We've already had political thriller. We've had a sci-fi slash horror movie. We've had a folk horror movie, uh, and we've had an action movie. And now we're going to a completely different tone. Now, one of the all-time classic tales of conspiracy has to be centered around dethroning a king. Sure. Conspiring to take the throne. Like, we've seen it throughout history in real life, learning about tales like Julius Caesar in school, to movies and, and TV shows like Game of Thrones. And maybe the first time I remember seeing this play out in front of my eyes was not for a physical throne, but for the title of king. And that's King of the Jungle, when Scar conspired to take the throne out from underneath his brother Mufasa in 1994's The Lion King. From Walt Disney Pictures, he was the heir to a vast empire. This will all be mine? Everything the light touches. Until a treacherous plot cost him the throne. I will be king! But while his life may have changed, his destiny could never be denied. You are the one true king. I'm going back! In the great tradition of Disney adventure comes The Lion King. Rated G. Exclusive engagements now playing. Starts June 24th everywhere. Oh, I uh, that that is so great. I did not even consider it. Like, it didn't even enter my head. But that is such a great choice. Yeah, like, this is, above all, it's a conspiracy film. As Scar conspires to Absolutely. both kill his brother and run his son, his heir, Simba, into the wilderness, never to return. Features the voices of amazing people like Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Matthew Broderick as the young and old Simba. But the real stars here have to be James Earl Jones and Jeremy Irons, specifically Jeremy Irons as Scar. Just fantastic voice work. The film is beautiful. The animation is amazing. It's one of those rare Disney films where I actually love all the songs written by Elton John 
And mm-hmm. you mentioned during JFK, John Williams score. It's, it, it's a score that a lot of people forget that he wrote because, I mean, he's done so many other amazing things. This one has a score backed by Hans Zimmer. And a lot of people forget yeah. that Hans Zimmer did the score for this because he's done so many amazing things since then. It's one of those Disney films that's actually really quite scary for, for little ones and has some really dark oh, moments. Yeah. yeah and um, in Roger Ebert's 1994 review, he wrote, My generation grew up mourning the death of Bambi's mother. Now comes the Lion King with the death of Mufasa, the father of a lion cub who will someday be king. The Disney animators know that cute little cartoon characters are not sufficient to manufacture dreams. There have to be dark corners, frightening moments, and ancient archetypes like the crime of regicide. Um, look, Lion King is its amazing, has a huge legacy, which has been adapted into a Broadway play, had a couple of direct-to-video oh, yeah. sequels, um, two TV shows, which the Lion Guard TV show, if you have Disney+, Plus, not that bad. And uh, a remake, which was both unnecessary and terrible. Yeah, the remake's a curious bird, um, you know, because it, it it's it's so close to the original that you know, well, what 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 are we doing? Like, uh, it's you know, it's it's one step away from the Psycho remake of of the late '90s, where it was like, oh, it's a shot for shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but somehow even worse than the than the Psycho remake. So yeah, credit to my wife for that one. This is a great choice, a great outside of the box choice. I gotta say, I, I, I didn't even, it didn't even enter my head, but it is uh, like, it is terrific. And yeah, it is absolutely a conspiracy film and about undoing the conspiracy. So uh, now we have Disney animated movies on our conspiracy list. So, oh, it's fantastic. Let's keep this going. What do you got? Uh, what do you got here next at, what are we on? Number two. Number two. Number two. Perhaps the greatest conspiracy movie, in my opinion, to come out of the 1970s, All the President's Men. The story of the two young reporters who cracked the Watergate conspiracy. White House. Howard Hunt, please. He might be in Mr. Colson's office. Who's Charles Colson? Did you know uh, Howard Hunt? Well, the White House said he was doing some investigative work. What do you say? They stumbled into Leeds. Certainly it comes as no surprise to you that Howard was with the CIA. No, no surprise at all. They tripped over clues. We'd like to see all the material requested by the White House. All White House transactions are confidential. This whole thing is a cover-up. It's right on our nose. And piece by piece, they solve the greatest detective story in American history. There is no way the White House can control the investigation. I, I don't want to say anymore, okay? Have you been threatened if you tell the truth? Is there a cover-up? Don't you understand what you're on to? Mitchell knew? Of course, Mitchell knew. What, what? Bernstein! Get in here! Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm glad that you had this on your list. I haven't seen this, so sell me on this one. I don't, you know, usually we want to avoid spoilers, but I will tell you that Nixon eventually resigns. Um, it, it is the story of Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein who find a connection between the burglars who broke into the Democratic National Committee headquarters and the Nixon White House. And through rigorous investigative reporting, the two follow the money and expose a conspiracy that reaches all the way to the Oval Office. Uh, it was written by William Goldman, directed by Alan J. Pakula. It, it's one of the most riveting fact-based movies ever made. Uh, It stars Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford as Bernstein and Woodward, Jason Robarts as Washington Post editor Ben Bradley, as well as Jack Warden, Martin Balsam, and Hal Holbrook. 
Uh, now, director Alan J. Pakula had made two films previous to this dealing with similar themes. And these kind of, these will, I'll mention them again on my, on my, uh, you know, runners up list. Uh, they are Clute from 1971 and the Parallax View from 1974. And all three of them together are generally referred to his Paranoia Trilogy. And I highly recommend all three. Uh, the Parallax View is also a strong contender for this list, but I wanted to have some variety. So I didn't want to have two films from the mid seventies from the same director, no less. Uh, and just all the president's men is kind of the, the, the ultimate of uh, expression of that, of that paranoid era. Um, it's just, it's so iconic of a movie. I mean, you know, you have the, the, the scenes where Woodward meets with his informant, Deep Throat, who we now know to be FBI uh, associate director Mark Felt in this underground parking garage. And it's filled with dark shadows. And it's just, it's absolutely an indelible cinematic image. Uh, the cinematography by Gordon Willis, by the way, who shot all three Godfather movies, uh, as well as the other two parts of, of Pakula's Paranoia Trilogy, incredible. It is just incredible. All right, I got to sit down and finally watch this. It's been on on my list of things to see forever, and it's one of my best friends' like favorite movies. So I gotta. Oh, it's. Uh, let me tell you, this movie is not homework. It is an incredibly entertaining detective story with great characters, brilliant dialogue. It just so happens that it's also about one of the most significant political scandals in American history that led to the downfall of a president. But but don't. People out there in podcast land, don't think that this is one of those movies that's just kind of a chore to watch. It is not. It is an absolutely entertaining, and it moves. It, it, it It's paced incredibly well. Uh, it's just, it, it's a terrific movie, and I highly, highly recommend it. That's All the President's Men from 76? 1976. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this to the top of my watch list. My number two also deals with a presidential conspiracy. I don't think it is as well known as yours. On my list, this is the only one I would really consider a deeper cut. And it shares a lot of the same descriptions that you that you threw out there, like some amazing characters, amazing dialogue. And uh, it's a movie that I think more people need to know about and more people need to see. It's from 2004, and the movie is called Spartan. Where's the girl? Sir, we believe she was abducted, that she was taken to a bordello. Here in Boston? She may have been delivered for sale and sent down the pipeline and overseas. To get to her father. What do they do when they realize who they took? They kill her. I've got two days before the press wakes up. I need a man, a man who can unquestionably follow orders. I am here to get the girl back, sir, and there is nothing I will not do. What's this? She signs all of her letters with it. She sees things cockeyed like Picasso. They took her. Who is they? I don't want to get in trouble. She was here. Where is she? You're going to leave your <laughs> life, or you're going to leave the information in this room? There's a slave trade going on of American women. Her father was in town. They took the Secret Service detail off her to take him tomcatting. She was snatched while he was cheating on his wife. It comes out. They lose the election. I did my part. What part was that? They got to get her back. There is no they. They'll let her die. Are you familiar with uh, Spartan? Oh, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It's got Val Kilmer in it? It does. Yeah, it does. So it looks like our number twos are going to be on each other's watch lists here now. I will put that on there immediately. That's, that. yeah, absolutely. Tell me a little bit about it. I'm, I'm so curious. Yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be really scant with the plot here, just because I think, again, best to go in cold. 
Uh, Val Kilmer plays this guy named Robert Scott. He's some type of former military member who still helps out with the military. He was like a former member of Delta Force or with the Marines and the SEALs. It's never really said. He's on base because he's helping he, he's helping like scout some recruits. And while he's there, he's asked to help out with a very discreet mission because the president's daughter has gone missing. And he enlists the help of a couple of Marine Corps recruits that he meets during the sequence. And he goes to try and find out what happened to the president's daughter. Now, there are a lot of twists and turns in this movie. You have Val Kilmer at the center of this, realizing that the pieces are not adding it up. Now, I've said it when I talked about uh, David Mamet's movie Heist. Your enjoyment of mm-hmm. Spartan is really going to come down to your enjoyment of David Mamet's dialogue, which I sure. love. You like Mamet's dialogue as well? Oh, yeah. And I, I'm I'm very, very well familiar, yeah, whether it's Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, yeah. or, you know, I think The Untouchables he did, uh, he wrote as well. Um, yeah. And I, I again, I, I've done... You know, I've done some mammoth on stage and, yeah. and, you know, he's he's certainly he has got a, a, a very particular way of constructing dialogue. And as you say, it's either either you go for it or you don't. And but if you go for it, you're you're in all the way. Yeah, it's it's um it's like a rhythm. It's like cinematic poetry when I watch it on screen. And in this film, he drops you into a world where you don't get what's going on. You don't get what people are talking about, but if you give yourself to Mammoth's dialogue, you know that the characters get what's going on, and you're just kind of hanging on for this ride. And especially when he's talking to military guys, he's saying things that like nobody will understand but those two characters. Oh, I think that's terrific. It's, uh, it's you know, there's just something about a movie that is immersive in a world that you don't know. And that sounds like this, this sounds like it is absolutely that where you're just, you know, you get absolutely kind of enveloped in, in this world that probably most people aren't familiar with. hundred percent. And there are even moments in here where they're, they're talking to each other without talking to each other. And they're just like, because they're so experienced, they know what each other are supposed to be doing. There's a great scene in the beginning where Val Kilmer is talking with Clark Gregg, who's playing this, um, some type of uh, like secret service guy, and they're going to go in As and he interrogate often somebody. Yeah, exactly. He's he's very much typecast in that kind of role. But they're going to go in and interrogate the guy who was on duty when the president's daughter went missing. And he he simply says to Val Kilmer's character, "I got to interrogate this guy. You want to help me out?" And Val Kilmer says, "Yeah." And when they walk in, they're like two completely different characters during their 30 seconds of interrogating this guy. It's amazing. The film is also filled with quick brutality, so quick sometimes that it doesn't feel like a traditional movie because people get shot and they just die. There are no flowery emotional speeches, no last words, and I'm not talking about side characters. I'm talking about main characters. Oh, interesting. There are deaths very much like um, Friedkin's To Live and Die in L.A., where deaths just come out of nowhere. (laughs) It's like they're gone. Um, there's a lot of great actors in here outside of Val Kilmer. You have Derek Luke, who plays one of his main Marines that are helping him. William H. Macy's in here, Ed O'Neill, Kristen Bell. And like I mentioned, Clark Gregg, a lot of people weren't as high on this film as me when it came out. I still look at reviews and, and some, there's some middling reviews, but in the days of 24's popularity, 
This felt mm-hmm. like a season of 24 that plays out within the course of two hours. And Val Kilmer as this character is just fantastic. Now, unfortunately, oh, very cool. You should be able to find this uh, like on iTunes for for rental or to buy. But if you want physical media, it's only been released on DVD. It has never been released on Blu-ray. It's never been released on VHS. The one disc that I have, the DVD, it has one lone special feature. It's a uh, commentary with Val Kilmer. But um, how is that? Yeah, it, it has not gotten the respect that I believe it deserves. My number two, Spartan from two thousand four. Oh, I'm going to check it out for absolute certain. It sounds it sounds fascinating. I love it. I love it. All right, we're at our grand finale here. Chris from Get Me Another, what tops your list? I, I, there are two like really big conspiracy movies we haven't talked about yet. I know one's my number one. I wonder if we have the same number one here. What do you got? Oh, I'm very curious to find out. My number one pick at the top of my list, the original from 1962, The Manchurian Candidate. What is it, Mother? What sort of a greeting is that at 3.30 in the morning? It's a quarter to three, and what do you want? I want to talk to you, Raymond. About what? I want to talk to you about that communist tart. Shut up with that, Mother. Shut up! You know what Jordan is? Are you out to crucify me? Are you out to crucify me? I don't know what you're talking about, and I don't want to know. I'm going to bed. Raymond, sit down. How would you see her? They live in New York. I'm getting a job in New York. You have your army service. Next spring. I might be dead by next spring. Raymond, if we were at war, and you were suddenly to become infatuated with the daughter of a Russian agent, wouldn't you expect me to come to you and object and beg you to stop the entire thing before it was too late? For those who might not know, the Manchurian Candidate revolves around a group of American soldiers who were taken captive during the Korean War and undergo this intense brainwashing procedure, which leaves them with bizarre and recurring nightmares. One of the soldiers, Raymond Shaw, is the son, a son-in-law, excuse me, of a prominent U.S. senator, while another, Bennett Marco, now works for Army Intelligence. And Marco slowly starts to figure out the story that they've been telling since coming back from the war, which resulted in Shaw receiving the Medal of Honor, is a lie and that Shaw is a pawn in a conspiracy involving politics, mind control, and assassination. Uh, It is a truly incredible movie, written by George Axelrod, directed by John Frankenheimer. As it says on the poster, if you come in five minutes after this picture begins, you won't know what it's about. When you've seen it all, you'll swear there's never been anything like it. It's just a movie that is so ahead of its time in so many ways. First of all, the way it, it subverts and uses American iconography. There's a costume party where the, the, the characters are dressed up by like as U.S. historical figures. And it's, it's so weird and surreal. And this is a movie from 1962. So you don't, it's not like surrealism was kind of the, the rule. It was very much the exception. And the things that this movie does, you know, for the time, are incredible. You, the, the, the brainwashing sequences, for example. In those sequences, the soldiers are being held captive in China, but they imagine themselves to be in a New Jersey hotel at the meeting of a ladies' garden club. And they cut back and forth between the garden club ladies and then 
their Chinese and Russian captors and then back and forth again. It's There's no special effects at work here. It's just amazing editing. And it makes for an incredibly unsettling scene where the soldiers and the audience aren't sure of what's real and what isn't. It's one of the best uses of, of 1.85 framing I've ever seen. The way this movie uses every inch of the frame to, to you know, to its, uh, you know, f- the way this movie uses every inch of the frame for, you know, to, for its purposes. It's so good. Uh, you also, it's incredibly well acted. Lawrence Harvey plays, um, uh, you know, plays one of the main characters. Uh, and Frank Sinatra plays the other. And I think it's Sinatra's best acting performance. And it's rare for a movie of this period to have a protagonist that's so broken as Sinatra is in this movie. And he's he's great. And of course, Angela Lansbury plays uh, Raymond Shaw's domineering, demanding mother. She's married to a Mac- Joseph McCarthy-esque senator where in reality, he's an idiot and his wife has orchestrated his whole career. And again, this is like The Wicker Man. It's a movie I, I don't want to fully reveal every twist and turn because the, the stuff that is in here is absolutely incredible. It becomes clear fairly early that both Marco and Shaw have been brainwashed and that Shaw is part of a larger plot. But the film really keeps you guessing on what that overall objective is and how it's going to unfold. And, and there's a scene, and I won't even say, there's a scene where two characters towards the end of the film kind of sit down and discuss what's happening. And the, the scope of the plot gets revealed. And it is, it is chilling to the bone. It is one of the most chilling scenes in any movie I've ever seen. And all it is is two characters talking. And it is more relevant now than it ever was before. I mean... I mean, honestly, the thought of a president of the United States that could be beholden to a foreign power and that they'd be respond that power would be responsible for their elevation to the highest office in the land. I mean, that must have seemed far less plausible in 1962 than in 2022. No doubt. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a uh, it, it's a it's a film I feel passionately about. It was it was my number one pick from the get go. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to run through like every conspiracy movie I could find and see if anything can dislodge this from first place and nothing could. How do you feel about the remake from, uh, 2004? Uh, I watched the remake the other day and I had seen it when it came out, but I hadn't seen it since, but I was like, it basically was like the last movie I watched in preparation. And I think it's good. Like it's a, it's it's a solid movie. It it does some interesting things with bringing the story into the twenty first century, but you can't. This is one of those cases where you just can't beat the original. The original is such a classic. It's so good. You you have an ending that is emotionally shattering on the level of a Shakespearean tragedy. Uh, it is just. I cannot recommend this movie highly enough. It is, it's the conspiracy movie that you wouldn't have those great seventies conspiracy movies. If you hadn't had the Manchurian candidate first. I hundred percent agree. Frank Sinatra, you mentioned his amazing performance in this. It's also a film or it's a performance rather that does not feel like Frank Sinatra. No, which is really unusual, right? Because usually Frank Sinatra is Frank Sinatra. And here he is not. And, and uh, you have also have Janet Lee playing uh, his love interest. Their scene where they meet on the train for the first time is one of the strangest and most beautiful. You know, it's the opposite of a meet cute. It's a like a, it's like a meet 
uncute, but it's so fascinating. Um, <laughs> Her character is so just, deranged. It's just tremendous. Yeah, it's uh, I, I anybody out there who is, is looking for something interesting, it's an older movie, but don't be put off by that. It is um, it is just incredible and an all time classic. Well, I don't think anybody's going to be upset about the Manchurian Candidate topping your list. I think that's a great choice. And like I said, it was on my honorable mentions. I didn't put it on mine simply because I had a political thriller. Well, really, I mean, Mission Impossible Fallout is a political thriller and Spartan was a political thriller. So I didn't want to crowd my list with those, especially because my number one is also a political thriller. Now, when I went to Mission Impossible, the Mission Impossible series, I chose Fallout. One of the reasons that I didn't reveal why I didn't choose the first one is because I only wanted one Brian De Palma film on my Ah, list, and it had to be 1981's Blowout. It began with a sound that no one was ever supposed to hear. He recorded a murder they say never happened. Absolutely. If you're if you're listening to this, getting some some recommendations. I mean, Blowout is a perfect double feature to go with Manchurian Candidate. Absolutely, it is on my honorable mentions list as well. Yeah, watch Blowout right after you watch Manchurian Candidate. You're going to see a lot of parallels, both in themes and direction. What this movie is about is it's post-production on this very low-budget slasher film called Co-Ed Frenzy. Oh, I, I want to see Co-Ed Frenzy at some point. <laughs> so do I. So do I. If you watch Co-Ed Frenzy, it feels like De Palma was just kind of messing around with like how sleazy he could get for you know the five minutes that you see Co-Ed Frenzy on screen. And well, and it was it was 1981, so it was right at the height of the slasher boom post Halloween. So it's De Palma doing a little slice of a Halloween esque slasher film. Yeah, and it's got some great camera work in there too. Uh, as as bad as he tries to make it look, or as low budget as he tries to make it look, it's De Palma. So you can't look unskilled when you're De Palma. This is yeah. the first time he had ever used Steadicam in that scene, and uh, so it looks great. If you're going into this in 1981, you're dropped into this world of co-ed frenzy, and then all of a sudden it switches gears when we find out it's a movie within a movie, and we're following this dude named Jack Terry, played by John Travolta, who has never looked better than he does. Oh, it's one of his best movie. performances. It really is. It is. It's it's great not only from his look, but the way he like his confidence on screen is just amazing yeah. in this movie. And um, he's a he's a sound guy. He's a sound tech. And he's told by his producer, we need different wind effects. You've been using these wind effects for too long. Go go out and record some new wind effects. So he he goes You want me to get new wind? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's like kind of miffed. He's like, we've been using this wind forever. And the guy's like, yeah, go get new wind. So Travolta goes to a to a park and he's recording sounds at night for the wind. And in the distance. He sees a car careen off the road and plunge into a creek. So he jumps out. He manages to rescue a young woman played by Nancy Allen, who is uh, mm-hmm. Brian De Palma's wife, and he takes her to the hospital. But when he goes back and he listens to his recording, he realizes he recorded a gunshot and the tire didn't blow out it, it, because of bad luck. It blew out because it was an assassination attempt. 
Yeah, and I want to say it's one of those great examples of of um, you know where you you know everything you need to know about Travolta's character right from the off that he he sees the car go in the river and he immediately he doesn't hesitate he, he just he puts down the sound recording and dives right in there and it's just like okay you know this guy's he, there's something about him at first that's a little like you know just a slight bit of sleaze but he is totally a good guy underneath it's it's the ultimate example of what they call save the cat in <laughs> in you know the parlance of our time totally totally um, they are great as leads, by the way, but it's also got a great supporting cast. Dennis Franz is basically playing his dress to kill character again. Yeah. Uh, John Lithgow, who is probably oh, how good is Lithgow in this movie? Yeah, he's probably one of my favorite act. Like if you oh said top ten actors, he'd be on my list. And he is he's just great in this movie. Um, it is a gritty, very realistic movie. In turn, it's very cynical. It's bleak, but it's it's amazing. And the, uh, the the technical craft behind this that De Palma put in is amazing. His use of split diap what do they call it? Um, oh yes, split diopter shots or however you say it. He's, he's split diopter shot. It's yeah. something we're a huge fan of on Get Me Another, and we always remark on split diopter. This may be one of the great split diopter movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, as is, by the way, I have to add, All the President's Men has some of the best split diopter shots. Uh, it's this, for those who may not know, it's this way of of keeping two objects in frame. It's uh, at the, in focus at the same time. And it has a great look. Yeah, yeah. And for it, it's like basically when you watch a normal movie, you'll have somebody in the foreground, somebody in the background. One of them is out of focus. And that's what you're used to seeing. But in these split diopter shots, everything's in focus no matter where they are it is it's jarring sometimes so good. when you watch it oh yeah no it's weird like it's oh uh, rob's gonna be so excited um that we brought up split diopters because he's <laughs> he, he's he's he, he he counts them off every episode where we have one that shows up and they do from time to time yeah um yeah it's it's it, it is terrific and and just everything about this movie is expertly done it is De Palma at the peak of his powers absolutely now, again, if, if you don't want to take my word for it and you don't want to take Chris's word for it, Roger Ebert gave the film four stars and Quentin Tarantino has said that this is one of his three Desert Island films. So surely you can trust one of those folks. This is available on Criterion 4K now. Mm-hmm. It's been released in 4K and it also includes Pauline Kael's review. Pauline Kael was a huge fan of Blowout, and she mentioned in that review, De Palma has sprung to the place that Robert Altman achieved with films like McCabe and Mrs. Miller in Nashville, and that Francis Ford Coppola reached with The Godfather, that is, to the place where genre is transcended, and what we're moved by is an artist's vision. So, take Pauline Kael's word for it, Blowout, 1981, that's my number one. Solid list, make just amazing list. Oh yeah, we only we had one overlap, which was completely you know that's a that both of us had. They live is is totally totally great. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that we gave you know that's that's nine films I think or eight films if I counting right. You know where people should go and check them all out because uh, again the only one I hadn't seen is Spartan. I will check that out uh, almost immediately. And I'm gonna have to watch all the President's Men. What were uh, let, let's give people some more recommendations. I'm sure you had some that almost made your list because you told me that you had switched up your list a couple of different times. What what would have been on your list if it's like top ten, top fifteen? Well, let me say this about that. 
the the top three on my list never changed. Okay, they were always I like I was I I, I that was that was the, the the order changed a little bit, but but it was then I had a bunch that were jockeying for positions four and five. Um, also on my list, there's a movie uh, from 1969 called Z by uh, uh, filmmaker Costa Gravis about a real life political assassination in Greece. And it's one of the movies that um, was an inspiration for Oliver Stone with JFK. It is a terrific movie. Uh, I believe it's also available on Criterion. And it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit more, sometimes a little more difficult to get into and to understand what's going on, but it's terrific. Um, you, you said also that, that was Z? Z, just the letter Z. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, it's it's totally worth checking out. Uh, I honestly also on my list was Rosemary's Baby. Okay, yeah, I can see how that could be a conspiracy movie for sure. You know, there 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 there's conspiracy at foot. Uh, another one, and this is similar to Blowout, uh, is The Conversation, yeah. Francis Ford Coppola's 1974 film, um, which is about a uh, you know a, a, a surveillance expert who records this conversation, and he soon comes to realize that. Maybe by giving the, the 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 tape to the people who commissioned it, that he may be putting people in jeopardy. And it is, it is incredible. It's basically the movie that Coppola made in between The Godfather, the first two Godfathers. Uh, it's got John Cazale and Alan Garfield and Frederick Forrest and Harrison Ford and Robert Duvall, and it's as much a character study as it is a thriller. For any other director, the conversation would be the crowning achievement of their career. In their unquestionably best film for Coppola, it wasn't even his best film of 1974 <laughs> because he had The Godfather Part Two come out later that year. Incredible! Oh, it's 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 great. I also had uh, I also had Blowout as well, as well as a weird little movie that I want to mention from 1976 called The Swiss Conspiracy, um, which it's just a little oddity about a, a guy investigating this this. Uh, the, it takes place in Switzerland. It was all shot in Switzerland. It stars David Jansen, who was the fugitive on the TV show, the original fugitive TV show. Uh, and it's it's kind of this weird little, you know, European thriller. Uh, it's got John Saxon in it. Uh, and I just, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't leave it off of a list of conspiracy movies. The Swiss Conspiracy from 1976. I haven't heard of that one. I'll have to check that one out too. Uh, what about your? What's your your list? Your your honorable mentions. I'm very curious. Well, yeah, it's it's funny when I said we had two major ones that that uh, I was wondering if one was going to be on yours and one was going to be on mine. The other one was the conversation. I had that on my honorable mentions, uh, and I totally had forgot about the Manchurian Candidate, which was at the bottom of my honorable mentions list. So those were on there. The ones that we didn't mention though that nearly made my list and would have if it was a top 10 invasion of the body snatchers was absolutely like really close to making it both the original 50s version and the 70s version are terrific movies yeah and i probably would have gone with 70 with uh what 78 that one 78 came out. That, yeah that would have been my choice there yeah I, I probably would have too but it's one of those ones where the original is also really good there was that stretch of from like the late seventies to the late eighties, where they did really good remakes of fifties sci-fi horror movies: the Beige of the Body Snatchers, The Thing, uh, The Fly, and 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 The Blob. All of them are really good. Yeah, uh, remakes. Hundred percent. I had the Bourne series on my short list. Just didn't. Oh, absolutely. Uh, like it just wasn't going to beat Mission Impossible, and I didn't want those two of the same. 
two of the same vein. I had uh, the Pelican Brief on my short list. Also, director Alan J. Pakula, who did uh, the Paranoia Trilogy of the 70s and oh, yeah. The President's Men. Starring uh, Julia Roberts and Denzel Washington. Um, and then I had a couple off-the-wall ones here. So Fargo was on my short list. Sure. Which is definitely a conspiracy with the, you know, the kidnapping. Um, Absolutely. Halloween 3 could be considered. I love Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, so much. And it's one of those movies that I'm, it's so... I feel so good that it's now become embraced when it was like the outcast of the Halloween <laughs> series for so long. And I've always loved it. It's, it's, it's this weird mix of like uh, uh, of folklore and science. And it, it, it lives at the center of my soul. I love, I love Halloween three. It's a great movie. And now you can think of it as a conspiracy film as well. Absolutely. It absolutely is. I don't know why I didn't, Honestly, now I'm like, oh, I should have put Halloween. What, what's wrong with me? <laughs> and then uh, one last one that I that I had to mention. My wife brought this up as well. And I got to agree. It's a great conspiracy movie. You might not think of it that way. But Mean Girls from 2004. Oh, I can I can I can I tell you something? I have never seen Mean Girls. Oh, Mean Girls is amazing. It's amazing. I know it's like one of the definitive teen movies of the aughts. And and I've, I I have never seen. I, I know that my wife is going to listen to this, uh, and she's going to be like, "Oh, we got to watch Mean Girls." I absolutely will. I absolutely will because I've nothing. I've never heard anything but good things about it. It's so well written. It's got such rich, amazing characters, and it's quotable for days. We watch it probably at least once every couple months, and I never get tired of it. It's amazing. Uh, that is fantastic. I'm going to throw two other real quick. If we have, I want to throw two other things on there that are not movies. Oh, let's go. One yeah. is a television miniseries from the early '80s called V. Oh yeah, yeah, which yeah. almost took the sci-fi spot on my list, but I, I wanted to go with they. V is about it's it's this it's a movie about alien. It's a miniseries, I should say, but it, it's like two parts, so it's it's like a long movie. But it it's aliens come to Earth and promise you know, benevolence and, and, and plenty, and they ingratiate themselves into, to, to, you know, earth society. And then, you know, we find out that their goals may not be what they originally intended. It's, it's available on Blu-ray. Um, it's a terrific miniseries. It was one of the big miniseries of the early eighties. Yeah. Back when miniseries were really well done, um, just on like basic cable TV. Yeah, it's it's really the other one. It's it's a it's a British series from the late '60s called The Prisoner. And if you haven't heard of it, uh, this was a movie that I encountered. This movie, this was a television series I encountered for the first time when I was in like middle school, and it like changed my life. Like every bit of writing I've done has been in a small way influenced by The Prisoner. And the premise: it's about this secret agent who resigns from his job, British secret agent who resigns from his job. He goes home, he gets gassed and he wakes up in this bucolic resort community called the village. And they are trying to extract the secret information that he has in his head. And he is trying to resist their efforts and, and escape. And it's only 17 episodes. Um, and it is, genuinely one of the greatest television shows of all time. It, it just, it, it rewrote my creative DNA when I encountered it for the first time. And it's one of those, I, I can't recommend it enough. The prisoner. I, I know of the prisoner. I've never seen the prisoner. So I'll have to search that out. I know that it's, um, 
I know it's on disc. I think it's on DVD. It is definitely on disc. I believe it's also on on maybe on like Tubi or one of those streaming services. Uh, it can be found. Uh, it's it's and it is just like I said. It's you know we use the phrase ahead of its time often to mean oh it's really really good, but this is a show that was like twenty or thirty years ahead of its time doing stuff that now is common in, in streaming and cable television with the, the kind of storytelling that we are very accustomed to. This was doing it in 1968 and it is, it's, it's an achievement in television. All right. I am definitely intrigued. Chris, get me another, let's, let's get some last plugs in here. Um, First off, where can people find get me another? We can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Get Me Another Pod, and the podcast is available. It's on Apple, Spotify, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter at Chris Iana Cone, um, and um, you know it, it's uh, check us out. We 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 love doing the show, um, and uh, yeah, let's uh, just check us out because uh, you know we haven't been doing it that long, but but uh, we really enjoy it. And it's a well-produced show. Go check that out. And that's always kind of a loaded question because all the links are going to be in the show notes. So scroll down and click that button here when we're done to go follow them on Twitter and to go listen to them. You already kind of mentioned the Conan series. Anything else that you want to tease for uh, Get Me Another? I can't tease beyond Get Me Another Conan yet, although we are, are very close to settling on what our 2023 lineup is going to be. But as I said, we already have, you could check out Get Me Another Batman, Star Wars, Boys in the Hood, and Halloween. Uh, and as well, in between there, we do some bonus episodes now and again, uh, just to kind of, you know, just if there's something we, we want to cover uh, as well. So we've... Uh, you know, we recently did a bonus episode on um, Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal. Nice. Kind of, you know, as, 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 you know, ostensibly part of Get Me Another Star Wars because they exist in sort of the, the, the cinematic landscape that Star Wars uh, allowed for in the, in, in the 80s. So, um, but yeah, check us out. Get Me Another Conan will be coming in January and, uh, and we're very excited for it. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. I... I have enjoyed this so thoroughly. Thanks for coming on. We got a lot of great recommendations for people. Well, this show, it's so perfect because it sits at like the intersection of two of my, my, uh, my great, you know, my, my great loves is watching movies and making lists. Recapping our lists, here are Chris's top fives. At number five, he had JFK from 1991. At number four, They Live from 1988. At number three, The Wicker Man from 1973, which I wish I would have thought of. All the President's Men was at number two from 1976, and his number one on top five conspiracy films was Manchurian Candidate from 1962. And my top five were They Live from 1988, Mission Impossible Fallout from 2018, The Lion King from 1994, Val Kilmer's amazing movie Spartan from 2004, and Brian De Palma's classic, Blowout, from 1981. Executive producers on this episode include Peter Beta from the Middle Class Film Class, Musa Mahmood, and Rupert Bumblestein. Remember to review Force 5 wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about the show. Those two free simple things can really help the show audience grow, which 
helps everybody. And of course, if you want more Force 5, support me with your dollar bills over at patreon.com backslash force5. You're going to get drafts, bonus shows, all kinds of cool stuff I have planned. You can find Force 5 on social media at Force5Pod on Twitter, at Force5Podcast on Instagram, and you can always talk film with me over on the Cinematics Facebook page. Theme songs today come courtesy of Nate Spears, and the top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some conspiracy films. Mm-hmm.